Hey everyone, welcome to Film Suck, a podcast that allows us to ponder the work of art in the age of crap cinema. I'm Eileen Jones. I'm Dolores McElroy. And today we are interrupting our great old broad series to bring you our interview with Jessa Crispin. She's the author of a book called The Dead Ladies Project. It's a wonderful title. Ex- Exiles, Expats, and Ex-Countries at the University of Chicago publication. Jessa is also the film columnist for Cesura magazine. And she has written a really wonderful piece called Six Theories of Sofia Coppola. Um, uh, and that's going to form the basis of our interview with her. We're going to thresh some of her ideas through. In general, we're all three of us, Dolores, Jessa, and, and I, we're all <laughs> such furious non-fans of Sofia Coppola's <laughs> film that we're thrilled to have this opportunity to consult with Jessa on what exactly is wrong with this way too celebrated director. So welcome, Jessa. Yes, welcome, Jessa. So did you guys like, did you pre-party by watching a, hate watching a bunch of Sofia Coppola films? Like, <laughs> how did you get your game face on for, for the podcast? I oh only did God. Bling Ring because it was all I could stand. But um, yeah, but you know, I've got problems. One. Yeah. Yeah. But that's why I watched it because both you and Dolores agree it's her best one. So I watched it. Um, yeah, I meant it. to watch, uh, you know, another one I haven't seen is the Marie Antoinette one and I've never watched it and I just couldn't. Sorry, it does seem like a lot. <laughs> that one hurt. It hurts yeah. if you know history or have class consciousness. Oh, that exactly one of yeah. any sort. Yeah. <laughs> what about you guys? Did you do anything special? I just tried to hate watch the, um, the <laughs> stupid uh, Rashida Jones one, and holy oh, fuck, it's rack. awful. Oh, yeah, and that like, will kill you. In conjunction with watching just like Sophia on a bunch of interviews, like she, I guess we'll talk about, I should save this for the tape, but my God, could she be, I think the word like simp and it was invented for her, like sit up straight, you know, just like something about it is like you, you have all the opportunity in the world to develop yourself. Can you just like present more impressively? <laughs> That's it's mean, but oh, it is mean, but yeah, you know, anyway. enjoyable. Yeah. <laughs> and don't, well, let's not waste it all. Let's okay, do, we'll, okay. we'll start officially. I mean, just with the with the talking. Yeah. Um. So let let me let me lead off, um, Jessa and Dolores by confessing that um, my relationship to or reaction to, I should put it, uh, <laughs> Sofia Coppola, her movies, everything about her is to 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 sink into incoherent rage mm-hmm. um so and this is true even when i review her films I've, I've let off one of my reviews by saying i really should start recusing myself from reviewing films because i cannot get my emotions sufficiently under control to do a coherent job so i was very thrilled um to read your piece in Cesura magazine um jessa um, called what six theories of Sofia Coppola that seems to me to have a very coherent take um, on a kind of overall Coppola aesthetic, if we will. Yeah. Um, so that was thrilling to read, and 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 we really want to use that as the basis for for our discussion. We can of course branch off um, because it just seems like you've got some really not only specific points about her films, but an over, kind of overall takes that are really um, one doesn't see very often. She gets. You kind of lead off, and 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 that makes sense with how much attention Sofia Coppola gets, which is mm-hmm. tons, and yeah. has from the first you know feature, uh, Virgin Suicides, um, way back when. Um, she she's had it's critical attention, scholarly attention, tremendous mainstream acceptance, you know, panel discussions on the importance of Sofia Coppola, and you sort of lead off noting that, and then question whether the films actually justify 
all all of that, all of that attention. Um, and that's a great question to start off with. Like, do they justify it? Uh, and and with the suge- shadow suggestion of if not, why maybe why maybe not or why maybe so? Yeah, I don't I don't think that her films are capable of. Um... I mean, they're froth, right? They're froth, they're meringue, they're (laughs) this sort of cotton candy. And trying to, like, build a thesis, I mean, it's just not, it's going to collapse. And and so I think that, I mean, I think it's a lot of the reason for this attention Mm -hmm. is just because of timing. Mm -hmm. Um, it, It really was just at a time when, we we're like, why are there no, why are there no women doing things <laughs> in our culture? And then and then she showed up, and we we're like, oh, good, a woman's a, doing a something. Woman. <laughs> let's right. close. Let's pay very close attention to everything that she does and mm-hmm. give her the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. And also, that's part of because you know she was so maligned um, mm-hmm. as a teenager, and so mm-hmm. then there's this like protective quality of it, and, mm-hmm. and this like. Uh, this wanting to wanting both to create this, you know, feminist or whatever symbol of mm-hmm. uh, creative pursuit, but mm-hmm. then also the sort of knee jerk defensiveness of, um, you know, she didn't deserve all of the hate that she got and mm-hmm. all the misogyny and all the whatever. And it just created this sort of, um, I don't know, but it, it she just became like a darling. Um yes. and I it hasn't been questioned despite the sort of uh, declining quality of uh, of her films. Uh-huh. And, and um, just oh let me just quickly just as an aside note for those of you who haven't been couple of followers whether <laughs> enraged ones or not. Um the maligning really was a, you know arose out of the performance she gave um in Godfather Part 3. Mm-hmm. Um, that she clearly got when Winona Ryder dropped out of the part of the daughter of Michael Corleone, the beloved daughter, um, in went Sofia Coppola in the role. And um, she was just just pilloried and vilified for the yeah. performance that she gave and won all sorts of worst act performance of the year. And it was a big, it really blew up huge. This, the accusations of nepotism obviously started there. It was pretty clear nepotism. <laughs> um, <laughs> and really, there was just a rage around it that did make you, I even I felt a little sorry for her, that, which is the only time I ever. Um, but yeah, so it, but it's amazing how the protective and defensive still surrounds her. I mean, even if you read something as innocuous as her Wikipedia page, it's notably preoccupied with defending mm-hmm. her against, you know, shadow charges um, yeah. that's apparently still linger in the air and in a lot of people's minds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I have even seen her performance was not that bad, like mm-hmm. hot takes, right? Mm-hmm. Like trying <laughs> right. to reestablish that, no, actually everything she does is perfect. Um, mm-hmm. Please please calm down. But, uh, mm-hmm. but no, so there, there is like, I don't know what it is about her. I don't know if it's just because she's sort of like, um, she, she has this sort of frail self-presentation yeah. and, and, yes. and so on. And, and, uh, you know, like, and, and then of course all of her movies are about these girls who are too delicate, right. too vulnerable, too sensitive to live in the world. And so they have to sort of create, um, these fortresses around themselves. Um, Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I think that plays into it too. And one of the more interesting 
and I, I don't know what I mean by the word interesting exactly, but um, <laughs> the sort of interesting uh, version of the mm-hmm. Sofia Coppola takes mm-hmm. are all of the YouTube film girls who now mm-hmm. do these like, you know, two hour long analyses oh, God, of yeah. every movie that comes out, right? Uh. Like they worship yeah. Sofia Coppola mm-hmm. and they ha- they have no capacity for uh, analyzing how much of it is just um she presents to them a an idealized reflection of themselves mm-hmm. and how they would like to see themselves mm-hmm. as being these delicate uh sensitive girls and yeah and so they just do these like devotional videos to her and i watched so many of them and they're really fascinating mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can imagine. And and I think, you know, it, it might be tempting for some to say, well, you should discount her self-presentation. Believe me, there is no way to discount her self-presentation. Yeah, no. She is no. everywhere. And she is the most, you know, Vogue and Vanity Fair friendly figure that ever walked in the planet. She's, you know, she does a ton of press, but she does it exactly in that frail way. She's. I read one description of her handshake, which was so delicate and and weak and limp that it was like clutching at air. What's the oh description? Oh, come on. Her voice is so <laughs> soft. She's so reticent. Um, the same interviewer said that her, the most frequent used word is, oh. Oh, oh God. So he just makes me <laughs> just want to scream and claw my own face off just reading this. But you don't know how much it's also ref- in a, now in a constant loop with the imagery in her films, mm-hmm. which to me has always reflected you know, her self-presentation, sometimes very literally, if you know the, you know, the backstory on that opening ass shot of Scarlett Johansson and Lost in Translation. Yeah. So Via Coppola literally persuaded her to do it by saying, you know, she didn't want to open the movie with her ass on screen. And she said, well, if you wear these delicate semi-sheer pink underclothing, that's what I wear. <laughs> oh you God. won't mind. And Scarlett Johansson said, you're right. Those are so lovely. I don't mind. So she's wearing Sofia Coppola's underwear. I mean, so it's this kind of, uh, you know, this every movie she does is parsed for its autobiographical content. Mm-hmm. She'll always tend to deny it and then admit it and yeah. partially admit it every single thing. So there's this very much a kind of conflation of of Coppola and her works um, in everything that she does. And the whole image of her is the most, the most tasteful and restrained lady yes. of our time is another thing that makes you want to beat yourself to death <laughs> with some blunt on Jack. So anyway, carry on. Carry on. Sorry. <laughs> Segue. <laughs> no, I mean, well, that, I mean, that refinement and the, mm. that sophistication is only, and also that delicacy is only made possible through the accumulation of mass wealth, right? Like the, right. the, the, the ability to not engage with the world only comes with, I mean, right. unless you're, you know, like living in the woods and I, I just don't see Sofia Coppola, like, no. you know, foraging <laughs> for mushrooms or whatever the fuck. But, um, but yeah, no, I mean, all of these movies are essentially like apologies or not even apologies, but justifications for wealth, mm. for, um, for, for glamour and for um, this, you know, very nostalgic idea mm-hmm. of of womanhood mm-hmm. of being kept of being um pet mm-hmm. and i just don't i just i uh, yeah it makes me it makes me sad well <laughs> yeah. and yeah you do talk about her overall aesthetic in in those very much terms like just a quote from the from the piece you wrote soft and pink and heavily scented 
mm-hmm. um, as part of the description. And that's very true. And she she's, you know, argued that herself, that she likes the what she calls the girly um, feminine quality of her pictures. And, and, you know, we'll get into it more, but she, she equates aspects of that with what she's getting the credit for in many of her films, which is deploying the quote unquote female gaze Mm -hmm. that all of this pretty Vogue ready imagery, um, is somehow part of (laughs) you, even to the decor and the clothes and everything else is somehow caught up in what she's, what she's being, you know, it's being attributed to her and what she's calling. The female mm-hmm. gaze. So, so we could talk a little more specifically, like what are images, what are aspects of her films that um, are part of an overall sensibility and aesthetic? If we can come up with some descriptors of scenes or something for people who don't know her work all that well. Well, it's totally over the top, right? I mean, it's just like the it's like antique shop or um, uh like pastry shop or something like the, this, this sort of extravagant display of um, of wealth and pleasure mm-hmm. is the sort of overwhelming sense of her films. It's just like upholstery and tapestry and trinkets and jewelry. And yeah, I mean, and she has, you know, extended montages of eating cake. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that, that to me is just, is just, it. it's just like constant, um, uh, consumer behavior mm-hmm. um on displayed on on the screen that you can take back to marie antoinette and bring mm-hmm. forward to bling ring as a kind of capstone project of your career and and that finally seems to be referencing some other meanings associated with you know not just this kind of drowning in in glossy magazine pleasures of of the look of almost all of her films i mean one of my biggest complaints with the beguiled was she she took these, this, this, you know, this account she's adapting of um, these desperate uh, women, women in the Confederacy, uh, you know, in the middle of the war, who are at a you know girls' school, and they all have perfect, pristinely perfect gowns that are not patched or or twice turned, as they used to call, it, not mended. They're all again magazine perfect and she would arrange all the young ladies uh in kind of color coordinated pastels like again this kind of magazine ready look that doesn't seem to have anything to do with the content mm-hmm. of right. of the film itself right and jessa would you say i don't i haven't watched many of the sort of uh fangirls but like ostensibly does the feminism of coppola's films according to these worshipful young women um does it sort of lie in the fact that the films ostensibly show the sort of contradictions and discontents of this kind of aristocratic womanhood um uh, you know, when in reality, I think we we could argue that it's in fact sort of like allowing for it, unquestioning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but do they do they think that this is somehow like elaborating the the quote reality of experience for a certain number of women? I, it doesn't seem to be that. It just seems to be that the the uh, the the auteur of girlhood seems to be the the project that these girls are interested in um the hmm. the idea that their lives not just, but not their lives of course but like the the uh chosen way in which they would prefer to be seen um that that that's worth looking at um I see. and well, that that had been denied to women up mm-hmm. until 
the virgin suicides or whatever. Um, right. and, and, and Coppola does occasionally try to talk about a motivating factor of the reality of teenagerhood, say, in virgin, virgin suicides. She claimed, well, she hadn't seen how languorously teenagers lie around for hours. <laughs> that, that, yeah. that, that was what she was going to address, that, that, that gap in representation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's true. Oh, but, and, uh, well, uh, but, you know, she does tend to have a way, though, of tying the, this aesthetic to, you hesitate to call them issues, but that's often how they're talked about. So the issue in Beguiled is these kind of constrained women's lives. Yeah. You know? So you can arrange them in these in these picture perfect, you know, you know, gowns and compositions, but it's all in the service of, but look how kind of trapped, you know, they have to sit sewing by the hour, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, that that kind of thing. Poor, poor Marie Antoinette, so misunderstood, kind of kind of But that's <laughs> a, that's the thing I never understood about Sofia Coppola and the and the sort of response to her. Like people always talk about, oh, look, she she's trying to show us the um, the way that women's lives are constrained, mm -hmm. the prisons that they find themselves in mm -hmm. and, and so on. But she loves it. Right. I mean, <laughs> exactly. Like, exactly. She's, she's enraptured with the idea of not having to deal with the real world. That mm -hmm. is her only mode. And mm -hmm. so it's not like, I don't know. I feel like people are doing a lot of like work on her behalf to try to create these theories and justifications and, and, yes. and so on of her work and, and try to make it like politically coherent. But right. really, no, it's, it's a celebration of imprisonment. It's a celebration of, um, of, of being trapped and not having to be responsible for the decisions that you make. Like there's a reason why Marie Antoinette <laughs> ends mm -hmm. as soon as she leaves the palace, right? Like mm -hmm. nobody, she doesn't want to see Marie Antoinette's head getting chopped off. Right. Or even no, as you right. point out in your, even, even her as a mother or her as getting an, to be an older woman, you know, she lives yeah. to be what? 30. Yeah. Right. yeah she, she, as girls. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. The focus is on, is on girls who don't, who aren't who aren't developing in the world? And yeah. you do have a great, great quote, which is that you know in your in the piece she delights in enclosure, mm -hmm. and that really struck for me because there's so many scenes in Coppola films in in posh hotels, in lavish homes, in chauffeur driven cars, in in all the enclosures of of the wealthy. Mm -hmm. um, there's just so many loving scenes that even if you're trying to turn it in certain films toward the, these are the restraints, these are the limits, this is the, <laughs> there's a wonderful description in the Wikipedia of somewhere. And it, this is a quote. It's that this film is dealing with the, the issue of ennui among Hollywood people, oh. <laughs> the issue of ennui that needs to be addressed. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Uh, yeah yeah i know and you do make a nice comparison i think to to melania trump or rather you're you're citing someone else who makes an argument about melania trump is that am i getting that right yeah in your article who is that person i'm sorry i forgot that i haven't written down the name oh no i now i can't remember well either. but, what, but it, it was, it was i think it's like quartz magazine and yeah, uh, yeah yeah okay yeah and i will find the writer in a second carry on <laughs> okay, go ahead. So what's the argument there? That um so no, so there was a the this writer did a deep dive into Melania Trump's mm -hmm. uh Instagram feed because everybody was always trying to um 
speak for Melania and mm-hmm. say, oh, she can't possibly mean that. She's trying to communicate non-verbally her mm-hmm dissatisfaction with the Trump administration's decision about immigration policy or whatever, (laughs) like always trying to uh, give her the benefit of the doubt. But like her Instagram feed Uh um, is just her being driven around, Uh, her looking Mm -hmm. outside hotel room windows, her Mm -hmm. looking, you know, always through glass, always, always at a distance, Mm -hmm. always, um, protected in, in these sort of shells and i was like yeah that it's a fucking sofia coppola movie <laughs> that's right. really really that's right i mean yes i mean lost in translation was was to, to me a, a nearly unbearable film for that very reason it was mm-hmm. all the kind of um you know the sad the, the the kind of permanently melancholy and disaffected young woman and that's supposed to be sort of proof of her worth to the extent mm-hmm. that you can figure out what her worth is um is the constant sad gazing at a world from which she seems alien of course she's been placed she's in japan she's with her what is he supposed to be music video photographer husband something like that right um and yeah she feels lonely but you, it's an endless kind of following her around in a meditation on her um her her what's supposed to be meaningful alienation in the world until she finally connects with the with the bill murray figure and that's lost in translation but it just it just drove me mad this clear weird celebration of this young this this young woman who lives behind glass and both seems to want credit for finding that a melancholy situation and yet is going to is going to go you one feels go right on doing it right yeah and as you say, Jessa, you know, in the films, we're always told that these women are exceptional or special. Mm-hmm. We're never shown. And you you made that point also in connection to the, um, oh, God, what the hell is it called with the Rashida Jones and Bill Murray? Oh, on the rocks. On the rocks, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, which is, it's the same thing. Like, we're told that she's a writer. <laughs> we know so because she has, you know, beautifully leather-bound notebooks and a writing <laughs> desk. Um, but we never, and same thing with the Scarlett Johansson character, who, I mean, seems rather unremarkable, aside from the fact of being Scarlett Johansson. Mm-hmm. Um, she really doesn't seem particularly witty, you know, which is mm-hmm. a point you make. She doesn't seem particularly special or promising. And it is, there's something in there that um, is, is like key to Sophia's work for me. It's like she's building these like huge edifices, these films, <laughs> to mm-hmm. like assure us, you know, that she's special. And it's like, right. uh, are you? Yeah. I don't think you have any depth of perspective <laughs> on anything other than than your own melancholy. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't. I don't need. I don't need the Scarlett Johansson character to be. Um, a rocket to scientist, be a judge. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't need her to be like secretly uh-huh. writing the most amazing poetry that's been written in 300 years. Like yeah. I, I don't, I don't really necessarily care, but then stop telling me how amazing she is. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. through these like very literal conversations about, no, you're special. No, no, you're so, you know, you're so different from everybody else. You're so, you know, like I don't, I don't mind an unexceptional character, but then stop trying to sell me on the idea that, you know, Mm -hmm. that, that there's something else going on with her because it just looks like she's just kind of pouty. (laughs) That seems to be her Mm -hmm. primary quality. Absolutely. I mean, her biggest flash of emotion, which I think, you know, everybody always cites is when she goes into a rage because her husband clearly likes and turns out he's having an affair with a scatty actress 
who doesn't pronounce Evelyn Waugh correctly says Evelyn Waugh and doesn't know that Evelyn Waugh is a man mm-hmm. and that this is this burst of, of, of fury. So with the suggestion <laughs> that she has depth and morality and culture and all of these important things on her side. But, you know, it's it seems so, so telling that it's not like she has some investment in in law as a writer or literary or anything. There's nothing more than that. It's just you should know mm-hmm. who that is and how to pronounce it correctly. Right. Um, and that's a kind of but that's a kind of marker, which often happens in Coppola films. There's a, there's these markers to show you the bad version of being. To be looked at, right? (laughs) What are the bad? What are the not, the not, you know, worthy of watching qualities and what are the worthy of watching qualities? Um, And the the way that that is so in almost every single film tied in with class. Yes, 100%. Like it's the lower class women, the women who are not as refined, the women Mm -hmm. who might be uh, a little bit slutty or swear or Or be a little loud or be a little loud. Mm -hmm. Um, And, but it's so much tied in with source of income in Mm -hmm. every single thing. Mm -hmm. And that is, I think the worst aspect of, of her films for me, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't, I guess like um I I do like a sort of exuberant display. I love the opera. I love sort of uh over the top feelings and mm-hmm. set pieces. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I love a palace. Like but um <laughs> but then the way that it's it has to be sort of she she creates this boundary of like oh no, this is not this is not for you. Um, this is not for you. This is for the aristocratic mm-hmm. uh, class. And these are my delights. But, you know, the the primary purpose of a lot of these films is to make the make girls think this is who they could be. This is who this is something to aspire to. This mm-hmm. is something to um, even though she hates them, like she hates these <laughs> girls who watch her films, I think. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> you think so? <laughs> well, you never know. She'll always do this praise thing. She'll always insist. Oh, no, there's I, I make these films other than for my friends and family. So mostly I make them for my friends and family. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think young people today are so much more sophisticated. So she will do these gestures toward an audience of especially young women, it seems, and that mm. she's she's doing it for them if she's doing it for anyone. But you never know how much, you know, as with anyone, how much you can take, yeah, how much you can trust in anything she says about what she's doing. Right. Well, right. Yeah, I mean, it's like with the, the press uh, tour that she did mm. with the Beguiled, mm-hmm. um, and she was being criticized for being racist. Right. Um, and because the beguiled is crazy oh yeah it's, a it's insane movie it is so inappropriate on oh. every level but yes. um and like coming out in, sorry sorry i stepped on you but <laughs> coming out in 2017 like height of the trump administration you're gonna do a Nuts. civil war movie with no black people yeah <laughs> it's insane insane <laughs> yeah um so she and but she was being criticized very politely mm-hmm. and and given the benefit of the doubt and even the YouTube girls were mm-hmm. like trying to find ways to mm-hmm. uh, justify the fact <laughs> that there are no black people in it the way mm-hmm. that the 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 changes made from the original material mm-hmm. all the choices that she was making which are horrendous um. But uh, but yeah, and so she was like, "Oh no, people are calling me a racist, mm-hmm. and it's upsetting my children." Right? Like, it, so <laughs> perfect move, perfect. 
Yeah. Yeah. No. So I, I don't think that she, I don't think she cares about her audience. I, you know, I don't think she wants to exist outside of this sort of perfume ad that she's built around herself. And, And, you know, and that's fine. Again, like I don't mind a diva. I don't, but I do mind a kind of like, um, aristocrat actually yeah because you know as you say there's something um you know aristocratic emotions can be grand you know you could there's stories inherent in her worlds that could be cathartic there are contradictions to be explored mm-hmm. there is rage she doesn't mm-hmm. exploit those she the only feeling she has is is ennui truly mm-hmm. i mean at the end of these i i so Jessa, when you said you're an opera fan, I was like, don't, we're going to do this. Um, so, so, um, uh, Dolores I, I did, used to work for the opera. I do. I oh. love it. Yeah. I, I love opera. And I read with it, horror in the Wikipedia that, um, <laughs> that Sophia staged La Traviata. She, she yeah. directed oh, yes. it in Rome. Uh, oh, my God. Yes. Can I you? And, and she, I mean, this is what she was excited about. She wanted to bring out the personal side of the French courtesan. I guess it's not personal enough. Um, <laughs> Um, you know, oh, Jesus the, Christ. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the party girl used to the social scene. It's a very feminine world that I love. I mean, can you imagine La Traviata leached of the betrayal, you know, leached <laughs> of the violence of her illness and her social status? She is a prostitute. Her social class is the whole reason for the fucking opera. You know? It's like, <laughs> That's beautiful. And she thinks that she's just, oh, a party girl, just carefree on the scene. It's like she relies on the... And the reason that you can't marry her lover is because she's been whoring herself out for, you know, like a decade. So, it's, you know. It's now, it's now like Paris Hilton gets a cold, I think, is now <laughs> exactly. the following about Traviata. Exactly. Like. <laughs> As you say, it's not like it's not like big emotions don't are there's not potential in these worlds like there mm-hmm. there is, but she doesn't explore them. She has no, no connection to those big emotions. She was just born well, bored and kind of sad, you know. Yeah, yeah, which I think does relate to the Taurus cup <laughs> you make where the, there's you know this this taste that is that is just just and its taste is so often the block the block to doing anything interesting. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, you define, partially define the Taurus as one who confuses taste for character. I love this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, the, we've already talked a little bit about her self-presentation, which is so tasteful. You you just want to scream and rend things. Mm-hmm. I, her, just look at the way she dresses her hair. Yeah. It's... Everything is very, very down, very downplayed makeup. Everything is just like, um, she, she, you could, you could grace kelly her up and put her in the 50s and no problem it's right. the same kind of discreet sweater set kind, of, <laughs> kind yeah. of aesthetic um and but it also seems to go very much in into her films the same kind of that you have to get rid of all that rather tasteless excess and emotion and and madness. If you look at the beguiled, the 1970s beguiled. Oh my god! It's the sweatiest, the rankest, the nastiest, yeah. and the most enthrallingly bizarre melodrama <laughs> ever. And she, and she's like, oh no, no, we don't want any of that. Right. No, that's got to go first. Do we know why <sighs> she made the beguiled? I have never read a satisfying explanation for it, and I do not know. I don't. I don't understand anything about that movie. I don't understand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, why she wanted to make this film. I don't know why anybody involved didn't Agreed. think it was weird. I know. I don't know why. I know. Why did it win Best Director at Cannes for her? Why a million things? I know. and But it's yeah. like, 
why is she why was she interested in a violent story when she has such an inability to deal with violence right like right. that both of the big sort of mm -hmm. violent moments of the film mm -hmm. are rushed or right. happen completely off screen to the point it's where it's downplayed to the point that you're like what exactly yeah um, and it's just so it's it, well like, i have a little quote from her that's that's fascinating it's not exact but it's pretty close where she says something like this is where you get into the female gaze thing. I did, you know, you you had mentioned in your article, you know, Google it if you want to see Sophia Copeland, the female gaze. So I Googled mm -hmm. it and you were so right. This piece yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but one where she was being questioned very much on those terms and beguiled was very much at the center of this, which I didn't realize at the time. But anyway, mm -hmm. she, they, she said, oh, no, the problem basically with the material of the first is it's very male gaze. The first movie version, certainly. It's, hmm. you know, Don Siegel's directing Clint Eastwood, an incredibly dominant um, actor. Also, I think he was also a producer in it with Siegel. Um, and she said, I wanted to explore what if you made the, and the, so the whole thing takes on, in her view, a male, kind of male violent, a male gaze kind of approach. And she's going to make it, she's going to explore the gender dynamics if it's from the point of view of the women. And she said, and I wanted to make it real because as she said, you know, the, the story has that this wounded soldier comes into the lives of these, you know, Confederate women locked behind the lines who, you know, have, you know, there's almost there's no men around. They've all gone off to fight. If a man came in, would would would, would they really act the way they're shown to act? in the seventies? Oh, I don't think they would. And so <laughs> she wants to make it again tasteful. Yes. <laughs> women would behave much more tastefully. God, yeah, you're so right. yeah, but if yeah. they but hack if his leg off in a kind of clear emasculating, she even questions whether that's really what they did. Oh my God, it changes <laughs> the entire meaning yes. of it. I know. <laughs> and then so uh, for me, it's even the turtle throwing scene, which is huge yeah. in the 1971. Yeah, she it would, happens off oh, camera, right? She in does the, it off the, camera. Yeah, so weird. What so a weird choice. Weird. <laughs> because again, that's kind of icky. <laughs> you know, to throw, yes. kill a turtle by violently. This is the, the 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 male character. He's a Union soldier. He's wounded. He's terrified. These women are going to turn him over, of course, to the Confederate forces. So he's trying to quote beguile them, um, seduce, um, bring them over to his side so they'll keep him and he can figure heal up and figure a way to escape, presumably. So he's using all of them and then, of course, overplays his hand, reaps the wrath of these women. But one of the shocking things about the '70s version is. This, you know, no one is spared, including this girl who's supposed to be 12 years old and she looks 10 in the, the early 70s one. And, you know, Clint Eastwood's character plants a big old kiss right on her lips and then forgets all about her. And it's her turtle. And he winds up in a rage picking up the turtle and throwing against the wall and killing it. And this is a vital thing that happens, motivating wise, as far as what happens next. And yeah, when I watched it, I'm waiting, like, how is she going to handle the turtle? The turtle is vital. And of course, she doesn't handle it. She doesn't. It's a perfect yeah. example of yeah. the Coppola tasteful aesthetic. But then why, why, why do it? Why do with a turtle thrown against the wall in the, as a plot point? Like, <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. And also just like, but also the, the way that it becomes inadvertently, and read that word however you want, I guess, racist. No. Um, because she does, she, because slavery is so distasteful, right? Yes. Like to even acknowledge its existence. I think the only time it's mentioned is like, oh, the slaves went away or something like that. Like, yes, there's, there's one, one line. line. Yep. Yeah. Oh, they left. The slaves left. Oh, the slaves left. Yes. And, um, 
Where, and where where did they go? Where like, did they go? <laughs> where exactly did they go? Exactly, I know. And you know, she did in in her description of that she basically does sort of suggest I I only wanted to deal with the gender dynamic. I didn't also want to deal with the racial because if there's no maybe not the civil war i don't know maybe exactly exactly do another fucking movie what is what i don't understand i don't understand it it. oh it was a baffler that one was a baffler. yeah 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 so so i i did want to press on the idea of Mm -hmm. the female gaze whatever that might mean and maybe we can work to define it together Mm -hmm. um because i I know i know this is gonna be painful but it's gotta Mm -hmm. be done um (laughs) i like I think we're all in agreement that mm-hmm. if if we even think a female gaze exists, mm-hmm. um, which which might be the idea that there is a way of representing the world on film that corresponds to the way the very broad category of women mm-hmm. <laughs> might experience it. Yes, mm-hmm. um, versus the way that most conventional movies are made, which reflects a sort of worldview and camera eye view of, typically associated with men. Um, we can. I think we can both agree, all agree that that like a female gaze is not um, simply displaying like the trappings of femininity <laughs> in a sort of like consumerist you know uh, way on screen. Like it's not showing mm-hmm. you the shop window of what it is means to be a girl, which I think sometimes is what Sophia. F- Coppola film. Oh, she are. definitely does. Can I do a quote? Do please, a quote? please. <laughs> this is on The Beguiled and she's being asked, this is the question, how in your film The Beguiled, how was the female gaze aesthetically created? She Ew. answers, we really put a lot of focus on the costumes and the art oh, direction there you go. for this very sure. feminine point of view. Everything is lacy in this Southern lady's world. And when Colin Farrell first comes in, it's very non-threatening. Then as the story slowly progresses, the visuals change as well. We took away the soft pillows and gave them scratchy blankets. Fuck. <laughs> oh my God. Amazing. Well, thank you. I so, love it. So a, per- a perfect <laughs> illustration of how, how for Sophia Coppola, <clears throat> the female gaze is confused yeah. with consumer yeah. goods that are typically marketed to women, yes. right? And the only <laughs> other thing <laughs> is... Interior decoration. Is, okay. is, is the, the only gaze. other thing is the girls, the, the young women, rather, all gaze, and the, there's one older woman, gaze, they all gaze at Colin Farrell, you know, you know desiring that. Ah, uh, I see. Okay, There is right. one thing. He's like shirtless got. for a second. Yeah, he's shirtless and okay. he's working and, and they look at him. Yeah. Got it. Well, that's a weird thing about it, right? Like, Colin Farrell has never looked worse. Oh, no! <laughs> they do. She doesn't even realize, you know, his sexual appeal. He's, no. Why? Look at him. Look at him. Oh. I, you know, that's all I... Uh, I want to look at Colin Farrell. Yes, Please can I move too. the camera and look at Colin Farrell because he is a beautiful, lovely man. And yes. she never looks at men. She never looks at men no. in, in any of her films, which is weird. And when but, she, when but she yeah. does, she finds the one angle where you're like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, the exhaustion is total. I mean, the ennui, no. you know, it equates to like total sexual exhaustion. There's no mm-hmm. arousal in any Sofia Coppola film. That's like an mm-hmm. impossibility. Mm-hmm. But but back to the I do yes, I, I, back yeah. To, yeah back to this question it Mm-mm. like I'm trying I'm trying to distract you from I, I know <laughs> <laughs> but, but do you think that I mean a does a female gaze exist do you believe no. that there is a gendered way of looking at the world no you don't no because later in the article you do seem to say this is not my female gaze so in a way mm. it seemed like you believed maybe somewhere someday there could be something that represented some gendered way of looking at the world that would correspond to your view but no no i mean i I don't mean it like that i just mean that um 
the what gets sort of designated female within uh, Hollywood at the moment mm -hmm. um, is so limited and and still so limited um, mm -hmm. and that the um, full expression of um, of gender of forms of looking and, and different ways of telling stories and so on that is exciting to me mm -hmm. but every time anybody uses the word female gaze it's like oh I'm not I'm not included because I'm not interested mm -hmm. um, in what tends to be sort of like uh, shoehorned into that category. Oh, I follow that for sure. Mm -hmm. And I mean, certainly like the larger journalistic and like Tumblr discourse about this is dumb. Um, yes. But, <laughs> but it, it is something that I wonder about. And like uh, sometimes the differences and of course these. OK, when we talk about the male gaze versus the female gaze, I won't even call it essentializing, but it's just like, you know, you're thinking of gender as a system. And of course, individuals don't always fall into the sort of mm -hmm. like vectors mm -hmm. of that system. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, typically we think of the, the way Laura Mulvey, who termed the male gaze thinks of it is as a an objectifying camera that has to do with both proximity and distance but usually it's in a way of photographing the women that um asks you to identify with a man on screen looking at her in a sexual way okay right and it's, we all and agree it's, on that yes and it's this power alignment that that is you know the often the, 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 it's the male lead the camera itself the the and and the the audience is aligned that way but it's all within a patriarchal system that that is much larger than just yeah we put the camera here and the director is male and the, anything literal like that i'm assuming right yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, definitely. And it, yeah, it really has nothing to do with the gender identity of the director. It's just mm -hmm. like this is conventional film yes. language. Right? right. And and so I, I think like what what I what I loved about your piece was that you identified Sofia Coppola's films are about the way that men watch women. It's what it feels like to be a woman being watched by men often. Mm -hmm. Right. But there's a way that like inherent in her films, there's a reveling in that, not a critique. And I mean, even looking back to whole old Hollywood, I think people are very aware of the male gaze and even of the way it affects women. And there are great films like, you know, Rebecca or something by Hitchcock that communicate the like claustrophobia and horror of that gaze if you're the one being pinned under it, you know, mm -hmm. and these films don't really don't do that. Like, do you, you think it's more of a it's a reveling in that position of being looked at, would you say, for, for a couple well, of yeah, I think so because um, I mean, even this this goes into like her whole her whole composure and the sort of like retiring, slumping kind of you know um, holding back. Compo like she she doesn't <laughs> she doesn't look at anything directly, mm -hmm. especially not men. Um, she it's always from like uh, it's always through these weird angles and filters of like mm -hmm. looking at women being looked at by men or looking at men looking at women mm -hmm. or something like it's never direct it's always sort of triangulated in the in these sort of strange sort of ways and i just don't i guess i just don't find that i just don't find that interesting in the in the way that like so much of the discourse around the female gaze is um is that fucking John Berger quote, quote that, I, that I put in the piece of like, women are always aware of being looked at. It's like, well, a certain segment of women, right? And, and that's a very sort of self-serving narrative to, to present yourself as always being 
watched and and gazed at and looked at and objectified and, and so on, and always being vulnerable, always being um, the su- the subject of of male attention. And mm-hmm. I just don't. I, uh, I, it's well, so though boring. some people at some periods of life would say that, in fact, when they're in public, that's exactly <laughs> at the very least. Like when I was in my teens and twenties, I felt always watched. I mean, right, that doesn't but, seem. But I, the way that that's mm. been sort of taken as a universal female experience, I mm. think, is um, overdone in sort of both feminist discourse uh-huh. and and just sort of like um, public, you know, women in public. It's like, yeah, I mean, if you're <laughs> if you present in a certain way, yes, yes, then you mm. get then you get that attention. And if you don't, you you you're not then you don't. Um, don't you think whether or not the attention is like, um, you know, overtly sort of like sexualizing or not, don't, doesn't one feel like surveyed as a young woman, no matter what one looks like, or no matter how one is like perceived, don't you think most women are aware of being watched? Um, I, don't I guess know what we want to know is how did you escape, Jessa? Yeah, can you ask your, what <laughs> how did you escape? Oh, I mean, down, downplay all you like. <laughs> the assessment went on in my memory. I mean. In no, fact, I mean, it's notable I, when you get to a certain age and you feel it go away from you. I can attest. Um, well, I feel like, you know, there are a lot of women who feel mm. invisible um, and to to whom these descriptions do not um, don't resonate or don't relate to their experiences. And the way that it's always been, the you know, the female experience is to mm-hmm. be observed and watched and sexualized and whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, except for like, you know, uh, disabled women, uh, except for, you know, like certain racialized women. And, and of well, course, I know, like- but even, even that you're, 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 you've been judged not to be not looked at. There's still a judging and an assessing. You've already been, <laughs> you've already been witnessed and dismissed. Isn't, isn't that yeah, part yes. of the overall, um, visual judgment that you're, you're part of? I guess, I guess it, there's also just like a lot of you know, lonely, alienated, unattractive <laughs> or deemed, you know, deemed so um, people who can stand in a public space and undress and feel like nobody would, you know, turn their head. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, this is just my diatribe. <laughs> mm. <laughs> like, this is not relevant to the Sofia Coppola thing, except for that this d- this sort of conversation about women being gazed at, looked at, objectified or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's just like, well, not me. Does that mean I'm not a woman? Does that mean I don't have the universal female experience? Like, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Am I sort of like a sub subcategory of, mm-hmm. of, of femininity or femaleness? Um, so yeah, no, it's. Well, and I you think know. you're right in that it does seem like the interesting, th- one of the interesting things of, or appalling, however you want to put it, of Cassia Coppola's, take is she seems to want to be part of a you know a crit uh, of um she, she wants to seem to be dealing with you know what it's like to be a woman in a kind of critical way where yes you're always being subjected to the gaze but then you turn it around and it's a reveling in the gaze as part of the pleasures of being a woman that right. she's not addressing mm-hmm. and it seems like she's 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 pulling a double shuffle um on that yeah, she wants to have it yeah. both ways. Both ways. Yeah. I, I'm I dealing think. with this very important issue, and yet I'm not dealing with this at all. Right. She doesn't confront yeah. or question anything. <laughs> so yeah, what is what is she confronting and questioning is always is always the question. She tends to get credit for it, and that's a lot of why she wins awards and there are panel discussions and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, sometimes it's more over, like, she gets all that traction for Virgin Diaries because that's, the the argument here is, you know, there's the tragic irony of all all of these men assessing um, these these girls and and reading everything in terms of the importance of their looking at them and their feelings for them, and they've never understood. So she, she does something very, there's a big overt thing that's built into, it sounds like, the book she adapted. Mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. seems to get, get her started. And then she can move on to other films with almost like, you know, the <laughs> the implication that she's continuing to engage with that in other films. Right. And I just, I, I wonder, um, yeah, it's the, it's this mistake we make like continually, continually, like just because you bring up girl stuff, mm-hmm. <laughs> just cause it's on the screen doesn't mm-hmm. mean that it's a, like a feminist critique you know right um and and that's unfortunately like because the level of discourse is so low anyone who has like two x chromosomes can hide behind that as like i did this therefore it's feminist Mm -hmm. and that's i think that's the problem (laughs) it's like Mm. with with receiving coppola is just like confusing uh material that focuses on women um mm. with with feminism <laughs> right <laughs> you know and it seems like jesse you make an argument that because we were she comes she comes along in a period when we're so starved especially for a more mainstream version of a feminist vision that she mm-hmm. gets embraced way tighter than she would have otherwise it's like oh yeah chantal yeah. ackerman is going to be way too <laughs> way too you know, tough and demanding and for people to want to, to be able to handle that one. So here you've got nice, soft Sophia Coppola who makes it feel so easy. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think this is the same with Greta Gerwig. It's mm-hmm. just like, Oh, thank God. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> somebody made it through the system or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, yeah. So not to go back too mm-hmm. much with the, <laughs> the mm-hmm. case thing, mm-hmm. um, but I guess like one of my disappointments with Sofia Coppola is that she wanted to look at the same thing that all the men wanted to look at, right? Mm-hmm. Like this idea that her gaze mm-hmm. at these beautiful, young, delicate, blonde women <laughs> that she populates her films with mm-hmm. um, is, is somehow different than From- <laughs> the, the men right. who have used her, that these same actresses in their films. Uh-huh. Like he, she's still, she's still telling the same stories. She's still looking at the same people. She's still looking at, you know, um, the, the same sort of devices and, and, and mm-hmm. narratives and power dynamics and, mm-hmm. and so on. Like, I just, I, I just want something. I just want something else. Mm-hmm. I just want somebody, somebody to tell a different kind of story, to look at different kinds of people, mm-hmm. to, you know, uh, sort of open up the space in a, in a new, fresh way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why, you know, we're in this period of constant remakes, of constant mm-hmm. um, sequels and, and you know, reimaginings and, and, and all that kind of stuff is like, well, we're, we're, we're just a little stuck. We're, we're just mm-hmm. kind of looking at the same stuff that um, the, all of these men did and yeah. somehow convincing ourselves that this is a revolutionary act. And we can also argue she's perfect for a kind of pop feminism that's super mm-hmm. awful <laughs> and degraded and stuck. Yeah. Right. She's also yeah. perfect for a kind of girl power, faux girl power, whatever the hell she's doing that's so vague um, right. that, that people can love it because... 
we're we're accepting everything as that. It's just amazing what can be considered feminist at this point. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. it offers no challenge to any system I could I can name, <laughs> like mm-hmm. not a single one. You know, mm-hmm. no economic structures, like no social structures, no gender structured mm-hmm. were harmed in the making of this film. You know, <laughs> 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 it's, right. all, it's all yeah. intact. And, yeah, and I, I mean, but you know, you do close out your article with a paragraph about mm-hmm. what <laughs> you a, a short, you know, a little paragraph about what you think <laughs> is is good about her films. So, what mm-hmm. do you think is worthwhile, if anything, um, to take from Sofia Coppola's work? Mm-hmm. I mean, she's a fantastic stylist, a uh, visual stylist. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I, I do find it like objectionable, and yet she's. Uh, I find it politically objectionable, mm-hmm. but she's good at what she does. Yeah. Um, she tells really tight stories in, you know, 90 to a hundred minutes. Um, she has this sort of, uh, exuberance in the, in the, in the, at least again, like just the visual storytelling, if, if not in the, any of the emotions being presented on screen, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, and you know, I do think I do think that she rescued, she saved Kirsten Dunst. <laughs> so I <laughs> do appreciate that. Right. Get you know, allowed her some sort of uh, some sort of pathway into uh, being an adult that didn't just have Spider Man movies. It's <laughs> 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 really, I think is really important for her. Um, yeah. So I think that uh, I part of my. I, I understand that part of my criticism of Sofia Coppola mm-hmm. is unfair mm-hmm. and it is based on my feelings as a female moviegoer who wants something else. It's as a critic mm-hmm. who takes a different view of her films, but, and sees her sort of uni- universally praised and, mm-hmm. and winning awards and all that kind of stuff. And there's that mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. thing that develops in a person when, when that's going on. Um, and so, yeah, so my, my interest in her mm-hmm. is, um, is a little bit poisoned. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I, I try at least in that piece to to wrestle with that the the cringe factor. Yeah. Right, right. Mm-hmm. No, and brilliantly so. Brilliantly so. <laughs> <laughs> are there any other contemporary women directors that you think are worth watching that are like kind of antidotes to Coppola's work? Oh yeah, I mean, oh yeah, of course. Um and now I'm going to not remember anybody's name. Okay. <laughs> uh, I I can't, I honestly can't remember the name of the woman who directed uh, Sybil, the French film um, (laughs) about a a therapist who loses all boundaries Mm -hmm. with her, uh, her um, Hollywood star uh, patient. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's the most relatable thing I've ever seen. (laughs) Like I read all these reviews like, this is, this is filled with the most unlikable women and then there's like a scene where the therapist, after being disappeared on a three day bender, mm-hmm. shows up and uh, at her apartment and mm-hmm. her husband's like, where the hell have you been? And she's like, have you read my book yet? And it was like, <laughs> oh, I finally see. I'm finally represented on screen. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so this, the film Sybil is written and directed by Justine Trier for listeners. Thank you. To check it out. Yeah. Okay. Oh, good. <laughs> a recommendation. Great. Well, I have like a, a final question, which which kind of comes off the what's good about. We have an exception film in both your view and mm. Dolores's, which is The Bling Ring. 
Yeah. And both of you were like, no, that's that's the film that kind of tests <laughs> our disappointment because you both write it as like you say it's a perfect film, Jessa. Yeah. And Dolores is a fan so. as well. I have to say I'm baffled, but Sofia Coppola is my kryptonite. So I watched it going, ah, it's killing me. So, but I am dying to know, like, wh what makes, so I can rewatch maybe and understand what makes this one the exception in her work. Um, part of the reason I like it is I do think that Sofia Coppola is extremely mean. Like, I think she's... <laughs> <laughs> like, I, think I think she's in denial of her nastiness uh -huh. and the bling ring just lets it rip just lets <laughs> lets her hatred of everything synthetic everything cheap uh -huh. everything like the oh the poor people trying to pretend like they're rich people <laughs> like, wow. she hates that so you're right i um, love it already oh my God, you, nailed it. <laughs> you nailed it yes i i love it, it mm -hmm. and it's the only one that feels like she's she's coming to this as a full human being and not just sort of like doing you know a selfie at the best angle mm -hmm. uh trying to present herself as, as mm -hmm. you know the this this creature of softness and allure um it's really just like blood dripping from her teeth <laughs> grotesque and i love it i love it so much that is so perfect because i dolores said to me well you know this is the film where you know she doesn't like these people <laughs> and I said, but in interviews, she insists she really likes them and they're just more no. misguided people. And I wish she like, what? <laughs> so she was still trying for the good angle in her interviews. But she go ahead, them. Dolores, you talk. Oh, no, I just, no, I was just thrilled to hear that take. Mm. I mean, no, you just crystallized it for me. It's her one, for once, she has a genuine emotion and it comes yeah. through and it's utter disdain. And thank yeah. you for connecting it to, uh, obviously, it has to do with class and their shitty taste, which mm -hmm. is the cardinal sin in Sofia Coppola's world mm -hmm, you, mm -hmm. I have nothing to say but yes <laughs> no and you're so right because that makes sense of why you know this is a based on a true story uh you know pretty wealthy kids go around breaking into low-level movie star homes and stealing stuff and they get away with it for robbery after robbery and then they finally get caught it shows so many of these robberies and they're it's essentially the same scenario over and over and over you watch it like 12 times them mm -hmm. break in um the young the only boy of them named mark is always the nervous one he always says we really need to get out of here they always scorn him it's the same thing over and over to the point that you're like why do you but that's why because the fixation is on the stuff and how often they're just yeah. hauling up huge handfuls of what looks like the junkiest jewelry. It doesn't matter what it costs or what it actually is. It looks like crap. Right. There's so yeah. much, you know, bedazzled crap yeah. in all of these wealthy homes, including Paris Hilton's actual real home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, and, those are really her Paris pillows of herself. That is just like, wow. And it is. It's all in the most just abysmally awful taste. And so it's an outrage against her sense of taste. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. It's so true. Like that, yeah. Paris Hilton is the like shadow self of Sofia yes. Coppola. Yes. They are the same. Oh my God. Yes. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Yes. Yeah. I yes, love it. Yes. 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 I watched, oh my God. Well, Eileen, after you told me that she was defending the bling ring, I just yeah. watched like a five minute interview with mm -hmm. Coppola about the bling ring. Mm -hmm. And she talked about um, this world of these girls, like having a designer handbag in high school as foreign to her. She's like, mm -hmm. when, when I was in school, no one knew what, you know, designers were and I was like bullshit no way oh, of bullshit. course you did like, <laughs> she had her own fashion line when she was 15, barely in her 16 I think 16 yeah, yeah, yeah she was yeah, she yeah. was with Chanel she was interning at Chanel at yep. age 15 yeah <gasps> 
complete bullshit. A total <gasps> fucking lie. And then she Whoa. talked about Paris Clinton. Uh, Paris Clinton. Whoops. Paris Hilton. Paging <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Freud. Um, Paris Hilton as though she did, like, did not know her. You know, she spoke of her like, oh, and I had actually never met Paris Hilton. I, I heard that she had this nightclub in her house as though it was a world totally foreign to her. And it's like, uh-huh. you're virtually the same age. I know you. Yeah, I know that you travel in the same circles. You've been to all the same premieres. You know, uh-huh. this is a, a fuck lie she's you she's the you that, you want to yeah. disavow that, that means that she's obsessed with her and she stays up watching like her instagram feed yes. like just seething just seething That's it. she's not even famous for doing anything <laughs> exactly exactly oh, yeah i love it you've totally converted me now i love the bling ring now <laughs> That is great. Oh my God. That's the best analysis ever. Congratulations. Oh, I feel somehow better. About <laughs> She's given us uh, something after all. Thank she you. Has. This yeah. is the gift of Sophia Coppola to us. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you, Jessa. That was just a thrilling interview. I yeah, really thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it was better. so much fun. It was so much fun. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, you must come on again and we must do oh, this again. So anytime. Cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And I forgot what my, my usually closing lines are. What are my usual closing lines, Dolores? You okay, something about like, um, um, thanks for keeping us in Louboutins. I don't know. <laughs> Yes, exactly. We thank you for checking out Film Suck. All of our subscribers, as usual, triple thanks. You can find us all about us on, you know, the usual sites, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and everything else. But yes, um, until next time, you know, by all means, do go and enjoy the bling ring now that we all agree. It's yes, the and, perfect film. <laughs> and, and Jessica, where, Jessa, pardon me, forgive me, Jessa, where, where can people find more about right. your work? Um, yeah, I mean, Jessa Duck, Jessa Crispin.com has, mm-hmm. you know, all of the, all of the things. So okay. that's, that's a fine, fine place to go. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. Thanks again. Thank Love you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Bye all. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye.